Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Welcome back to the Silver Club Podcast. This is episode number 55, and we've got Colin is back in the game. What is going on, Colin? Steve, how you doing? Great to see you. Great to talk to you. Yeah, great um, to chat, to put a to put a bow really on this this 2021 year, huh? After uh, patiently waiting 23 months over Labor Day weekend, the Yale golf team returned to action with a 15-shot victory at, at Colgate. It was so so exciting to be back in the van and travel and play practice rounds and and uh and have these watch these kids compete they really they really sort of they they were they were patient about it but fortunately they they came in sharp as as golfers will and then three weeks later we held off the michigan wolverines at our fall invitational at the mcdonald cup won that for the sixth time in 12 years that was pretty cool uh the yield course was terrific and then a week later we went to this fantastic event out at maidstone it was a monday tuesday event the field tournament was like a regional and we finished fifth behind uh, four really terrific schools, but ahead of the once mighty Cal Bears, <laughs> Colin Morikawas. <laughs> no, I tease him. I tease him. It was a, but it was a great. It was a great tournament. It was a great win. The weather was, weather was, uh, horrible. But it was. It was. It was <laughs> that fourth like, and final. Yeah. Sounds like fall golf for the for the Northeast for sure. Uh, you guys are I know in deep into the finals, uh, their finals uh, right now. And I mean, Yale finals at Yale have to be like a, a mind bending, excruciating, <laughs> you know, few weeks to just prepare and all that. I mean, I know you, you certainly graduated from Yale. I mean, I, I graduated from Florida, so, you know, it's not, uh, not quite as deep there, but, uh, it's gotta be, gotta be pretty, pretty, uh, mind bending on these guys. No, it's pretty, yes. They're the poor kids. That's uh, <laughs> They're also toning for probably some procrastination, but there's a little bit of a reading period. But um, the exam schedule is really late. It goes right up until the sort of 20th and 21st for some of them, but um, they'll be pretty good. They're going to they're gonna have a nice long four-week winter break and get to spend some time down in Florida in some warm weather places golfing. So um, I would I would trade sort of a week of exams for a four-week four uh, little winter recess, too. By That's itself. nice. So will you take the team down south? I mean, will you go have any kind of formal practices, or what What can you do? No, they're entirely on their own until February. Okay. Um, they'll, they'll return to campus on the 17th of January, and um, we're going to have a nice – we're going to have a match against the uh, against Georgia Southern at a hoopie at the end of February uh, to, to shake off the rust because we're, we're thrilled to play in the inaugural um, – Wake Forest is going to have a uh, a tournament the first Monday, Tuesday of March at Pinehurst Number Two. How about that? Wow, that's going to be that'll be the best. Uh, that'll be the most architecturally significant course to host a college event uh, all year. And and then we're we're very lucky. We're going to go on a spring break and go out to California. We're we're invited to play in UC San Diego's event at, at um, La Costa. And one nice. thing I really love is I have a player from Chino Hills and. Southern California, and this I always try if you can to take a take the team to an event where um, where some of these kids are from, and be a nice opportunity for Darren's parents to see him compete as a Yale golfer. So that'll be that'll be a really cool thing to do, and and then just the April push of um, Princeton Invitational, Yale Spring Invitational, Ivy Championships at Century, and 
uh, I'm not going to get ahead of ourselves. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, that's, that's, um, I got a great team. These kids are terrific. They work hard. You know, Steve, I think you're, you and competitive golfers will appreciate that this fall, we really kind of, we really did step up the amount of, um, data we were using. Um, I'm allowed as a coach to reference the wind direction and every single page of those, of those yardage books now has a compass. And we have gotten better at just deciphering between whether it's crosswind or it's actually coming at you at two o'clock or three o'clock or four o'clock. And, yeah. and, and knowing that that wind is, and not being confused where it might, what it might feel locally on a tee box or um, on a hole and knowing that it's just that macro wind is up there and it's and, and, and not to be confused. Mm-hmm. And I, and I feel like, um, and these kids are getting so that we've gotten better at what that distance means when you draw a six iron versus cutting a five iron into these winds. And I really have to say, I admire, I admire how much they've embraced it. Um, and how we've gotten just, we've, we've kind of gone from being sort of okay at it to, I, I saw in so many instances this fall where like, it really was, it, it, it really was sort of a, a next level of, of, um, of knowledge out there and, and relative to the shot shape, the club, and of course the sort of target and what was going on around. Well, you think if anybody could figure it out, it'd be a, a Yale student, right? I mean, there's so many, uh, you know, their, their, their brain is wired a little differently than, than some. And, uh, that's, that's very good. That's uh, super important when you're trying to understand uh you know how to play good competitive golf and and to get all that done so that's that's really cool Uh, speaking about competitive golf i've got to give a little a little shameless plug to our our silver club golfing society our our calendar you know you talk about all these great places you get to go uh we had a ton of fun this year playing you know as this is kind of the the wrap-up pod of the year but man we played at places like chichesse creek and uh, old sandwich up in Boston, and we went out to Ballyneal this year too. Uh, Ballyneal is just an unbelievable. Tom Doak, you've been you've been to Ballyneal, I'm sure, Colin, right? Heavenly, it's heavenly. <laughs> yeah, middle of nowhere. Like you get out there at night, you can, the stars are so crystal clear. There's no street lights anywhere. I mean, it's three hours east of Denver, and and there's not much there. So <laughs> other than uh, other than some great golf, and we even had a great team match at Bell Reeve versus their members and Inverness versus their members. Um, and uh, so anyway, we got around to some really awesome places. 2022 schedule is on its way out very shortly. And we're going to, we're going to play. We may even, uh, we may even come up to your neck of the woods at, uh, at Yale. If uh, things can work themselves out, we're going to go to other great places. We're going to make our first international trip uh, in 2022 we're going to play, uh, we're going to have a proper day at Muirfield. We're going to go to Prestwick, uh, Western Gales, Turnberry, Troon. Uh, then we're going to take another trip. Uh, these are both in September. We're going to take another trip to Ireland, play the brand new St. Patrick's Lynx, uh, the Doak course on the northern shore up there, as well as uh, Royal Portrush, so uh, amongst others. So uh, that's that's going to be super exciting. And I know international golf is is you know, it's a big thing in, in your world too. You've, you spent some time over there. That, those are some good trips. That's a good, that's a terrific calendar. Um, no, you're, you're any day you ever, the Muirfield day, you, you, you can't have enough Muirfield days in your life. I mean, that is just, to me, I, I've always been sort of, you know, it's a personal taste, but I, I think the course is just such the most balanced links course on the planet. Um, 
and then the history the club that goes back to 1744 uh, at that site since the 18 night and since 1891 and then they know how to they know how to put on a lunch i'm you know that uh, that is a that is a great day that should you know that that is about as good as it probably gets no i i can't wait i've never been to muirfield done a, a proper day there and put on the the coat and tie for lunch and then go play some foursomes in the afternoon we're actually also going to make a stop at the home of the silver club the 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 five hole well it's not a golf course anymore it's the it's basically a, a park now uh but it was the original spot in leith over there where the the silver club really had its birth back in 1744 and they played that original competition and uh, so that's going to be really fun to we're, we're calling the event the journey home by the way so that's going to be uh, we're we are taking a journey home uh, with with the Silver Club. So, uh, by the way, I I walk that park looking for any semblance of golf holes, and uh, and there are some old ancient dunes down on the down on the shore there, and it's a beautiful part of Edinburgh. It's it's a uh, heaven, you know, just uh, one of the you know Glasgow and Edinburgh are two amazing cities. Edinburgh is more European than it in Glasgow to an extent, but uh, wonderful pedestrian city, and that area down by Leith is beautiful, and there's a few nice sort of historic pubs facing you know facing the park well you guys could have a nice little kind of walk around that'll be cool yeah that'll be we'll, we'll have a lot of social media around that and uh that'll be super fun so so kind of putting a wrap on 2021 what are a couple of things that really jump out in your mind that you know you're you're glad that you saw or maybe that you're looking forward to turning the page and moving on to 22 oh it's a good question you know i well, that the whole fall was was it was just a thrill to I had forgotten <laughs> to an extent um, how much fun it is to go to a college tournament. Yeah, you were and, off for a whole year there, Yale, weren't you? Well, we went twenty three months. Twenty three months. Oh, more than yeah. Jeez. So that that sort of uh, pent up that that pent up uh, uh, experience, the joy that came with the boys playing well and 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 doing well and. Um, I'd forgotten that it was like a narcotic <laughs> to, to take a team to an event and have a really productive practice round. And, and then, and then for them to play well, um, just that was that whole, this whole fall. And then um, I didn't mention earlier, but you know, I, uh, in November we celebrated a milestone. It was the 125th anniversary of the birth of intercollegiate golf. And when Yale played Columbia at the Ardsley Casino, and wow. this summer I, re I reached out to Rich Muller, the coach, and decided we decided to use a, a date of a, a scrimmage date, not an official date of competition. But you know, we had a fun little sort of casual, low stakes uh, um, one day at their home club at St Andrews Golf Club cool. in uh, in Yonkers, and we it was during our fall break, and we just came and we we played their course blind, but it was cool to get a little link in the New York Times and um honor the tradition this coming spring uh will be the 125th anniversary of the first intercollegiate championship which is wow. which will be pretty cool so the sort of, I'm, I'm enjoying those milestones um and obviously this past year was extremely exciting to have all that sort of to have to finally have to, for finally to become public the announcement that gil hans is going to restore the yale golf course yes let's talk about that for a second because that is that is one of the the greatest stories in all of golf i think i mean the yale golf course has perennially been the top ranked golf course 
in the in collegiate, uh, you know, not to mention, you know, architecturally and, you know, outside of the collegiate space. But uh, how did how did that all come about to get Gill and to uh, and, and when is the thing all going to start and what's kind of a timeline? Well, the timeline is it's going to it's going to the course will remain, remain open all all next year, at least through Halloween. Um, so we'll have our we'll have the men's and women's teams will have their fall invitationals. And then uh, it will by December, it'll the sort of process will begin. And then the thick of it will be all of 23. And then there'll be a spring of 24 and summer 24 growing and sort of a TBD ribbon cutting at some point in the summer of 24. Um, it's going to get the full Wingfoot Marion treatment. Wow. Um, you know, drainage, tree clearing, full restoration of the original dimensions, precision air greens, lengthening the the original width. It's going to be national in the forest when it's done. You know, proper Yale, Yale properly restored in garden variety country club condition should probably be ranked about 17 in America. And the truth is it would be as good as anything in front of it and, and as good as the next 20 behind it. But Wow. Um, it's, it, it couldn't be more, it, it couldn't be, we couldn't be th- more thrilled to have, obviously have, uh, my old friend Gil involved. Uh, he's, he's certainly the man for the project and his, his team of ACE shapers. And, um, I was, I turned over all of my sort of archiving and worked, worked to Ben, his, you know, his associate. Um, and it, so it has, uh, it, it, you, you know, it, everyone's any, Anyone who's ever set foot on that place knows it knows its potential and how how incredible it can be. And so uh, it's it's going to be one of the great it's going to be one of the great restorations of all time. It oh really my goodness! Will. Wow, that is that is so exciting! I can't wait. Yeah, the, the the most the 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 largest and most bold features on a golf course that I've ever played. Um, man, yeah, that's that's going to be. Uh, I mean, you've got to be like crazy excited about that. Yes. I mean, it's, it's like, I, hallelujah, you know, how long have you been, um, how long has, has this been talked about or how long, I mean, the, I, I know you've been involved as the coach there for how many years now? 13, 13 years. So yeah, I mean, you, you see the, you know, everybody knows the conditions of the golf course and I guess COVID was, has been great for a lot of things, right? A few of the things that have been great for golf, Tiger Woods and COVID and COVID, I say that in the respect that that uh, you had to shut the golf course down for a certain time span. And somebody took a picture somewhere and it got out there on social media where the golf course was closed. It wasn't being maintained at all. And it kind of turned into a, for lack of a better term, a cow pasture. And now, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, I guess that maybe spurred some things on. Yeah. It, 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 what really is the cent this, you know, the centennials coming up, certainly like this, we're going to, um, 13 months from now, we celebrate the 100th anniversary of the of the property being gifted to Yale. And then, you know, 24 is the sort of anniversary of the construction of the course. And 25 was the growing and the sort of soft opening. And so those were there was always going to be kind of uh, significant work prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, but, you know, it. it I, and you know, I I understand where the university was coming from with the new university wide shutdown. And sure, no, um, it was it was it was it was always beyond sort of out of, out of their hands what was going to happen there. But no doubt that they've known, you know, the problems that had been out there had had been 
going back 40, 50 years. And um, it wasn't really COVID certainly drew it that drew attention to it. But the but the the passion and the sort of love of that course was always there, even if it even if it had remained open, I, I suspect we would have we'd still be here because um, it was always on the horizon to get to complete these things before the centennial. That's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we, we can't wait to see all that and uh, maybe even have a Silver Club event out there before they uh, they close up yeah, around Halloween. That would be neat if that works. I, I, I think they're going to they're going to make an announcement and eventually this winter about sort of whether out of state residents can play. And I I don't want to sort of uh, <laughs> telegraph it, but I, I suspect they're going to make it open to out of state residents. And I do think it would be it'll be of significant interest for everyone to see it before and after no doubt it'll be it'll it'll be a it'll be extremely exciting uh you know and i think what's going to blow people away the the original dimensions the fairway width and the size of these greens as big as they are the third green still needs to get bigger and um you know it was going to be three times the size and the sixth green needs to get bigger and the first and and uh anyway it's been it's going to be it's going to be one of the great dramatic transformations of all time. Oh, I, we can't wait to talk about that more and see it and to just visualize what what uh, is going to is going to happen there. So uh, super exciting. Well, before we get to our podcast, I uh, want to just kind of shout out to a couple people out there, a couple past podcast guests. First of all, Rob LaBritz. Rob LaBritz, if you've watched anywhere recently, he was uh, he's a PGA Club professional, was just the medalist at the PGA Tour Champions qualifying tournament down in Florida the last few days. And uh, he shot 64 in the final round as the director of golf at Glen Arbor up in the Mets section in New York. And he's been a great player. He's played in the PGA Championship eight or nine times and Low club professional there a couple times in that event to boot. But Rob, has uh, he's our guest on episode number 42, and he, he really took the golf worldwide storm, didn't he? What a great story. I, I, know, we, I know anyone from the Mets section sort of knows his name, and t- two of my players are actually at Glen Arbor. One of them has you know known him since he was just a child. So um, that is a feel-good story if there ever was one. Like, talented player, uh, what, what a... I, I love I I love reading it. Any golfer who reads that type of story, you have to love. You can just imagine your own sort of the, the talented club pros in each section that everyone they know who they are. Like that's that's just a wonderful story. Yeah, I, I've played a lot with Rob and against him, and he is he is really tough. And I'm going to predict he's going to win out there this year. I think he will. Uh, I think he will really put a uh, a pretty good mark on that tour uh and all we'd also be remiss on the on the flip side of it uh we also had a guest in episode 44 a gentleman by the name of neil regan and unfortunately he passed away a little too early in his life uh he was the club historian at the venerable winged foot golf club and i know uh you and i were both friendly with neil what's a thought that you had about neil and that that you could share with our listeners Neil's an old friend. I I love I love that guy. I remember having him once to my um, apartment on West 72nd Street one night, and we listening to vinyl and having a drink. And um, I I always I got to meet him when I was writing the U.S. Amateur book. He was sort of the understudy to the club historian, um, and so I consider myself i try to consider myself the neil regan of the yale golf course to you know do what he does and so we i consider ourselves comparable or peers and 
um, very sad. Just was 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 just was crestfallen to hear the news. Um, I recently looked at our the most recent text with him, and it was him inviting me to go out putting on the golf course. Neil was one of his things was he he loved the wingfoot greens. Uh, and he loved putting on them, but even more importantly, he loved putting up onto them from 150 yards away. He was a master of just sort of the full swing putter and, <laughs> and, and feeding the, feeding the ball onto the, onto those greens. But I've read a number of tributes to him on golf club Atlas and, um, and you know, it, it, he's one of those people that appears universally beloved and, and he is, I would encourage anyone who loves Wingfoot, if you hadn't listened to that original podcast to go back and hear it. He's his, he just, it's so obvious that his, his heart, he, he loved Wingfoot. He loved golf. He loved Tillinghast. He loved the history and traditions of the game. And he also loved just camaraderie and, and the company of other golfers who feel the same. And so guy was just had a heart of gold and I, I miss him. I definitely miss Yes, him. he he will definitely be missed in the golfing world. I remember he loved to do uh, the challenge putt. He'd find a spot on a green where it'd be this impossible type putt, and and he'd go challenge you to a closest to the hole. And uh, we we definitely we played around when I was at Paramount Country Club in the Met section in New York up there. And but uh, definitely he will be missed. Well, something we're not going to miss though is this next guest on our podcast, the final episode here of this year jonathan coachman the coach he he originally came in to our lives in the wwe but he has been in the golfing world recently the voice for the world long drive he was certainly an anchor on espn he's been all around you definitely know his voice and you know his story so really looking forward to that colin it's been fun to do all these episodes with you. We've got another good one uh, about to record one soon with Colin Morikawa's coach, Rick Sessinghouse. That will debut just on the other side of the new year. So uh, certainly excited for that and wish you and your family nothing but the best through the holiday season. You too, Steve. You be well. You enjoy the break. You deserve it. Here's to, uh, here's to a great year that was and, and to a uh, fantastic 2022. Okay, Colin, but before we get to our podcast with the coach, I just want to thank the sponsors of our Silver Club Golfing Society, the Turtleson brand. At the golf course, at the office, downtown, anywhere, we believe setting your own pace inspires comfort and confidence. That's why we are intentional about designing clothes and accessories that are adaptable to fit your life, your style, and your pace. Great brand and great people with Turtleson. A couple new sponsors of our society, the Two Under brand. Inspired by the kangaroo pouch, they set out to create a high-performance men's athletic underwear with the versatility of everyday use. With more support than a standard brief and improved airflow to keep you cool, Two Under provides the best fit, best comfort, and best style a man could ever need. And finally, Putt View Books. Putt View Books are the greatest way to get your understanding of a golf course, especially a new one, and get it down pat and understand all the slopes, all the bunker carries, all the runouts on the drive, all the green maps. They've got great yardage guides, great green maps, and everything is USGA legal, so you don't have to worry about any of that. Try out PuttView Books. Go on puttviewbooks.com slash SCGS and get $20 off of your first order. Okay, without further ado, let's get to our podcast this week with the coach, 
Jonathan Coachman. Okay, this is episode number 55 of the Silver Club podcast, and we've had a lot of great guests on this pod, but today proves to be the most energetic podcast we've had to date. <laughs> Welcome, Jonathan Coachman, better known as The Coach. Yes, sir. And you know, Steve, you and I haven't been friends for that long, but I'm a little bit offended. I've got to be honest with you, because I don't make it on your podcast till episode 55? Seriously? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to let that pass because I'm here to have a good time. Great to be on with you, pal. <laughs> well, you are a busy dude. You wear more hats than uh, than a hat factory. Uh, you, you've got so many things going on. I mean, from the PGA Tour Live stuff that where you and I met back in the summer to hosting podcasts on CBS Sports and all, all sorts of, I mean, you were voice on the uh, EA Sports platform, the Madden football. I mean, so many things to get into. One thing, though, that really stuck out to me. And, and as we get to know each other too, you really put nicknames to everybody. Everybody's got a nickname. Obviously your nickname is totally built in, but you know, you yeah. called me S squared. We worked with Mark Wilson was Marky Mark, but you know, the whole <laughs> nickname thing, why is that? Yeah. Why is that so important to you? All right, it's really important because early on in my career, and, and I hope everybody that is either an up and comer or trying to build their own brand listens to this answer, because whether you like him or whether you don't like him, Miss McMahon is the greatest brander in the history of branding because you're turning guys and gals from their normal personas into this bigger than life persona on, on pro wrestling. I spent 10 years in the WWE. So I knew that if you are Steve or if you're Mark or if you're Jonathan, does anybody really remember those names? No, because there's a lot of Steve's. There's a lot of Mark's. There's a lot of Jonathan's. But when you put a nickname on somebody, all of a sudden you give them a little personality. All of a sudden, you give them a little bit different. You got two ways to refer to them. Also in the WWE, Steve, we only went by one name. So if the Undertaker, we if you'd pass him in the hall, we'd say, hey, what's up, Take? Or what's up, Taker? Or if Triple H, we'd call him Trips. Um, when when I worked with The Rock for three years, we just call him Rock. Hey, Rock, what's up? So it's too hard to have two different names. So for me, it's all about branding. And I firmly believe that if you don't brand yourself at the level that you and I have gotten to, or even levels of people starting out, it's going to be a lot more difficult for you to stick out in this world of media right now that is crazy. It is crazy. That's yeah. That's a great point, right? Uh, yeah, S square. I got. I got to work on. I got to work on mine. But my cool factor is much lower on the uh, on the scale as yours. But I'm, I'm I'm working on it. But a guy who's got a really great nickname. T-Dub, Tiger Woods. I got to bring him up right off the bat. Uh, yeah. Just to, he's trying to come back in a small amount. Uh, Going to play the PNC Championship in Orlando coming up. But yeah. uh, talk to us about your feelings about Tiger and his comeback and his, his importance to the game in your mind. Full disclosure, Tiger Woods is my favorite athlete of all time. It's Tiger, Michael Jordan, and then it's LeBron James. And the reason Tiger is my and, – and when I was at ESPN, I took a lot of flack for this because all people like to do is look at people's weak points. People love to knock other people down so they can feel better about themselves. And Tiger, for three or four years, was a perfect candidate for that. I tend to look at it differently. I believe everybody makes mistakes. Everybody – life is difficult. It's hard. And so for Tiger Woods to come back the two or three times that he has done it and got back to the point where he can – win and then win a major is astounding in itself. So when I saw him hitting on the range last week in the Bahamas and people started talking about, could he, 
No, it's only two weeks away. It's only been 10 months. He hasn't been out long enough for a, a leg that he nearly lost in the accident last February. And we should never underestimate Tiger Woods. And the reason he's my favorite athlete of all time is he's given me more enjoyment, more Sundays, more days than any other athlete in the history of my lifetime. So why wouldn't he be my favorite when I look forward to Sundays at the PGA or the Masters or, or the US Open, whatever it is. So if Tiger comes back, I believe this to be true, Steve. This will be, and he's victorious on the PGA Tour, it will be the greatest comeback maybe in the history of sports <laughs> because it, he wasn't even supposed to barely walk again, and now he's playing competitive. I don't care if it's a father-son yeah. in two weeks. He's, he's, it's competitive golf, and it also shows how much it means to his son to play in that event as well. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. That'll be uh, very, very interesting to see how all that goes and, you know, his – Ben Hogan type of future, picking off a few events that he can play. Probably going to have a tough time, uh, could have a tough time walking around the hills of Augusta National for four days. Sure, and, sure. But, uh, you know, people are prognosticating that St. Andrews uh, for the Open Championship could be mm-hmm. the the place where he comes back. But uh, we will be uh, watching very, very closely at all that. But uh, for our listeners, just so just to get a quick background of you, you know, how's a guy who grew up just north of Wichita <laughs> um, you grew up actually right near, you know, for golf nuts, you grew up right near Prairie Dunes Country Club, yeah, sure. in, which is in Hutchinson, Kansas. I mean, one of the greatest Perry and Press Maxwell designs out there. But now you live out in L.A. But, you know, growing up in Wichita in a very small town, about 11,000 people, you came up in state high school championship in basketball two times. Yeah. What fueled your love of sports right out the bat? I mean, I tell you what, ever since I was a little kid, I'm talking little, five, six, I can remember it very vividly. And I grew up in places where you could just leave the house and go play. And that's a very foreign concept to people now, certainly parents now. Uh, but back then, all I cared about was sports. To be honest with you, other than my family, all I care about today is sports. It's the one topic, the one subject that never gets old. You're always going to have live. You're going to have new athletes. You're always going to have new personalities. So it's always going to continue. But I love the games. I loved, I loved putting in the work. I loved trying to get better. I loved all the sports, football, basketball, baseball, played them all. And then started golf later, you know, when I was 18 or 19. But when I was growing up, all I, all I dreamed about was making it to Kansas City. I was like, if I can make it to Kansas City, that's a top 30 market, my favorite teams, the Chiefs, the Royals, I'm good. Because where you, when you grow up where I grew up, you have nobody ever leaves. You take a nice job, you make 50, 60 grand, and you're good, raise two or three kids, marry the girl that you were in love with in high school, and that's it. That's part of the reason, Steve, I can't go back to my high school reunions right now is because all of my friends back then never left. So it turns into two days of, man, I wish I would have. Man, I wish I've got it. So when I speak to kids, and I love doing my speaking tour, because I tell kids all the time, you got to have work ethic, but you also have to have a lot of luck. And when I got my first job in Wichita, I got it because the news director was fired. And I was green as grass, 21 years old, maybe 22. And he called me and said, I'm going to hire you because I think you have potential. And I think you could be great someday, but you're not ready now. But it doesn't matter to me because I just got fired. So that's how I got my first job. I was there for less than a year. And then Kansas City brings me in. I'm there for six months. So I got to a point where I had to say, I'm on national TV at 23 years of age doing pro wrestling, which was way different than what I always dreamed about doing. But I've always said this, and I believe this to be true. You use every opportunity that comes your way to progress And if I have a chance to be on national TV at 23 years old, make low six figures at 23 years old, 
damn it, Steve, I'm going to take it. And the journey that I've had since then has been incredible. I've been all over the world. I've traveled over a hundred countries. But I would be lying if I said I dreamed about this when I was a kid. I dreamed about doing sports for a living. That's all I cared about. I never dreamed about how far I've got. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're so enthusiastic. I, I said something on, on Twitter. Somebody made uh, some comment or something on Twitter, which you are uh, very, very well known on Twitter, over 128,000 uh, followers on Twitter. But uh, somebody said something about football and Gus Johnson. And I said, you are the Gus Johnson. <laughs> I saw that. You are the Gus Johnson of golf, <laughs> right? Like the energy that you have. Where did this energy come from? There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things. Um, and they're not all good, but they've, they've kind of molded me into uh, who I am today. I believe this to be true, that we don't know how long we're going to be here. The last year and a half has proven that. And that every day I wake up, I tell my kids this all the time. I literally had this conversation in the car with my kids this morning. And I said, guys, we've got to come from a place of yes. We've got to come from a place of positivity. And why wouldn't I be enthusiastic, Steve? When I get to wake up, I'm in a beautiful home studio. Last weekend, I was in Florida at an event. Jack Nicholas was there. I got to see him, talk to him. It's beautiful. My life is beautiful. Now, it's not perfect. I'm a divorced human being. It's not perfect, right? But those type of things don't bother me because I want to live every single day to my fullest. And I want people around me. I want to lift them up because I've already arrived. I'm, I'm already here. I've got three now, three tremendous jobs that I can have until I retire in 30 years when I'm you know, 75 years old. And so why wouldn't I be enthusiastic? And people that aren't drive me bananas. How can you walk in and complain about being in the sports center studio, or how can you complain about being at Augusta on the 16th hole? Are you kidding me? How about working a normal job for once? How about working nine to five, clocking in, clocking out, and then come back to me and tell you if you'd like to do those things. <laughs> Damn it, this is fun. Sports is fun. This is so much fun. And now I'm in a position where I've got people around me. And also, Steve, I've started being an agent. I have four clients that I represent. Why do I do that? Because I got tired of talent getting screwed over by agents taking 10% when we're doing the work. And so I started this very, very, very small agency. I've got four friends. I negotiate all their deals and we're happy. We're all good. We're all thriving. We're all at the network level. You don't have to be uh, the most uh, polished person. You don't have to be the most educated person, but damn it, you can have fun. You can show enthusiasm. You can show somebody next to you that you appreciate them. You can tell your friends taking the time to do something for them. That doesn't cost anything. That's where it comes from. Oh, I love that, man. That is just like, oh, I just got so much. Uh, I, it's like it's like Red Bull. You're like, a, you know, they, they sucked out Red Bull out of your veins. And there we go. It just <laughs> pulled it right out. <laughs> there you go. Show me the can, right? It's, it's It came out of your veins right there. But uh, you've done so many fun things. You've done so many yep. exciting things in your life. Um, in the wrestling world, that's where, you know, you got your, your big breaks and the WWE, yep. uh, just, uh, before we get into the golf stuff, talk sure. a little bit about, uh, you know, a, a cool experience or story that you can share, uh, in the WWE on, you know, dealing, hanging with the rock, hanging with, uh, <laughs> triple H, uh, you know, Vince McMahon, all these, all these people that really influenced your professional career sure sure I, I was very blessed that early on you know i went to wwe just as an announcer but i'm six three and a half you know i walk around at 240 250 pounds 
And you're the small so, guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But I was a little bit too big for what Vince wanted to interview the bigger guys because he wanted them to look really, really big. So a couple of years in after and me and The Rock were very, very close. And I was always his foil. I was always the guy that he made fun of. And so whatever name he would call me on Monday night, I would hear it at the airport on Tuesday morning. But that was OK, because I was like, people would love to make fun of me. Oh, The Rock called you this last night. You know what I would say? I would say, did he call you that? No then you're not as cool as I am. And that would shut them down right there. They thought they were making fun of me, but I was the one that was standing next to the rock. But I'll tell you this, this is my favorite story. It's my favorite night. It encapsulates how far I came in the, I was there for a full decade from 99 through 2008. And the rock left around 2003 to become the biggest movie star in the world. And his career has been astounding. I wish everybody could have the ability to meet him and be around him for even five minutes. And you think I'm enthusiastic. You think I'm positive. That dude is next level. And he's gotten to a point where he uses his celebrity for good all the time. And that's what I wish every celebrity would do. So it was 2007, 2008. I was, uh, you know, less than a year away from wanting to leave. I was in this storyline with this, this character called Eugene. He's kind of like Rain Man. He, he's a savant. He's really, really smart. All he wants to do is make friends. So during the six months that I tried to get him out of the WWE storyline, of course, he was making friends with all the big stars except The Rock because The Rock wasn't around. So that's what we did for six months. People loved it. He would make friends. I would look stupid. It was all good. We were going to San Diego one week. Rock calls the office and says, hey, I'm in L.A. I'm not doing anything. I've been seeing what Coach and Eugene have been doing. I want to come down and do something with them. So I get the call. They're like, would you do this? I'm like, First of all, when have I ever said no to Vince? And this is The Rock. I would fly anywhere to do this script with The Rock. So it's supposed to be 12 minutes. Eugene comes down. I berate him. He backs up the ramp. There's 15,000 people in San Diego. They have no idea that The Rock is there. None. And there's nothing better, Steve, in the world of sports, specifically wrestling, than a surprise. I mean, a real surprise. And as soon as Eugene backed up the ramp and waved goodbye to the fans seemingly for the last time, it's just a mile! And here comes The Rock and the place. I mean, I'm telling you what, I get goosebumps just talking about it, thinking about it. My body remembers how it feels. And he comes down, looks like a million bucks, beautiful blue and white tracksuit. If anybody wants to watch the video, it's on YouTube. Just pull up Coach Rock and Eugene. It was scheduled for 12 minutes, so Steve. And one thing The Rock taught me, and if any people are listening can take this in, into their jobs and in their lives. He says, Coach, if it's great, there's nothing they can say, meaning going over time, right? We went 26 minutes. <laughs> they had to take 14 minutes out of somebody else's match. Rock didn't care. He was in and he was out. And we walked back. The place is going bananas. We get a standing ovation from Vince and everybody else in the back. And Rock looks at me and he goes, see, coach, when it's great, there's nothing they can do. And I have taken that moment and I've taken that advice every step of the way with me moving forward. So when I have a decision to make on my show, on my brand with what I'm doing, I always tell myself, is this great? Is this something that's so good that nobody can say anything about it? And if it is, then I know I've got a home run. Perfect, perfect. I think that segues me perfectly 
into the world of World Long Drive. Now, you were the, yeah. the voice and the play-by-play voice there for Golf Channel for a few years. Something that went away this year in the last couple of years is the World Long Drive. I think yeah. I think the World Long Drive is one of the coolest things out there. And it's such an evergreen program. It can be played any time of the year. And, you know, you watch these guys hit and, and hit it 430 yards. And Kyle Berkshires and now Bryson DeChambeau's of the world are getting into this this competition. Explain maybe a little bit about what you know about the World Long Drive. You're, you're past with that. And sure. where you could see, I mean, it's we've got to see that again. Instead of on some streaming, we've got to see it out there on national television, whether it's Golf Channel, NBA, wherever it is, we got to see it. It's unfortunate that the pandemic happened, but make no mistake about it, Steve, even if the pandemic would not have happened, the World Long Drive Tour would not have continued on the Golf Channel. And I work for the Golf Channel, and I don't want to disparage anybody. I don't want to say anything bad about anybody, but the way they went about their business at the end when they were moving out of Orlando and dumping different things and firing people, it was not a good look. And if you're going to be a great leader, I am big on leadership. I'm big on being uh, working for great leaders, which I do now. And ultimately I want to be one. I want to be an executive. And that's part of the reason I ended up leaving ESPN is because they look at you as one thing, right? So when I got to Golf Channel, World Long Drive Tour, it became, and you listed all the fun things that I've got to do and I still get to do. World Long Drive was the most fun thing I've ever done. And these are guys that are passionate about a sport that literally make almost no money doing it, but yet they still go out there and do it. And Golf Channel, I found out because I got the numbers, that they were spending half of their budget on bleachers. That's not good leadership. You can take $300,000 and put it, half of it into the purse. You can put the other half into the production. You can add lights. You don't need bleachers for a World Long Drive event. I tried to help them during the Bryson event because I became acquainted with somebody who has started doing streaming pay-per-views, $2.99, $3.99. This sport needs to be active. Last February, I almost had it back up and running myself. And because of the pandemic, the agency that was helping me said it would be too much work, no face-to-face meetings. That's how much I believe in the World Long Drive Tour and those guys and girls who do it. And now for two years, none of them, Kyle Berkshire, he's lost hundreds of thousands of dollars because the tour is not up and running. So if there's one hole in my resume that I want to fill right now, it is to try and help. Even if I'm not the play-by-play voice anymore, I'm cool with that, Steve. I got plenty of work, (laughs) but I want to see these guys. And I got to spend, there was eight of them at the event I was at last weekend, putting on a display, an exhibition, watching these guys hit the ball in person. There's nothing like it. There is nothing like it. And I pray that one day the right people can get in charge, the right people that have the vision, the right people that have the belief, and we can get this thing back up and running so these guys and girls have a a place to hit. Yeah, we've definitely got to be able to see that. It's just such a it's such a great product. It's so electric yep. for that that two minutes that those guys are blasting away. And now, you know, guys like Bryson are in the mix. I mean, what's your take on him transforming his game, his body from a US Open champion? Almost won the world long drive. If there is one thing that I've learned through this pandemic, Steve, it's that uh, most executives, most leaders have no vision, meaning you have to show them. So when the pandemic started. Uh, I was sitting out a lot of ideas to people and I'd get back. Ah, I don't know. I can't see it. I can't, I don't have the vision. And it hit me. I need to find a production partner. I need to find somebody that can show me 
that this can happen. Well, that's exactly what Bryson has done. When he started this whole put on the weight, I want to hit his arm. There was nobody that had his back, but he believed in himself. He believed in the work. He believed in what he was doing. And it has, there's nobody that can say anything now that it doesn't help. Look how he won the U.S. Open. That's supposed to be the hardest tournament in the world to win. <laughs> yep. You're supposed to be accurate. It's all about fairways and, and greens. Am I right? Yeah. And he hit none. He hit <laughs> none. And he won going away. So he has proven and has shown us that this is possible. And he has many wins now on the PGA Tour. And I thought, because we had a couple of players when I started that tried to do both. They tried to play competitive golf and they tried to do world long drive. And the training is two completely different things. Well, Bryson is a unicorn because he trains like a long driver, but somehow can hit wedges to three feet. <laughs> and that is what's different. You know, Kyle Berkshire did play college golf and he quit because he, the training was too different. I give Bryson a lot of credit. I think he's very likable. I like him a lot. And I think we need more guys like him that understand my brand is unique. And now that the PGA Tour is being forced, Steve, to throw all of these millions of dollars at these guys because there's other big money options around the world for them to play in, it's never been more important for a player to push his brand because that means dollars. That means money in your pocket if you are popular on social media. Yeah. I never thought I would see the day, but it's smart because it makes them, if they help their own personal brand, guess what? They also help the PGA Tour brand. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, the, the PGA Tour brand, I mean, going into that and going into the, you know, the way we met uh, PGA Tour Live, that whole yeah. platform in just a, a few short weeks in the turn of the new year is going to be completely blowing up. It's going to go from one channel to four channels, 4,300 hours over 36 tournaments over the course of just next year. And the PGA Tour has put millions and tens and hundreds of millions of dollars into this property. There's going to be four channels now. You're going to have, you know, featured group channels like we've had. You're going to have a marquee group. You're going to have one, uh, the main feed. You're going to be able to see the leaders and all sorts, kind of like the NFL red zone in a way sort of thing. But that whole entity right there, speak about why you love covering golf. I mean, coming from all the backgrounds and all the sports you have, what's your passion for golf? Uh, I started playing when I was like 19 and I just loved the game. And, and, and then I, I fell in love with Tiger like a lot of people did. And that pushed my passion of golf forward. I also had a, some really good mentors when I was coming through college. And a lot of the advice I had was learn how to play golf. Because in the industry that I wanted to go into, a lot of deals are made on the golf course. You're asked to play in a lot of charity events, as you know. And being able to play golf helps you. It helps, especially if you're in local TV or even national TV. I get asked to play in probably 30 to 40 events a year. I can't play in all of them, but that's where my love of the game came from. When I was leaving ESPN in 2017, I literally made a whole sheet of goals. Who do I want to work for? What do I want to do? In the last two years I was at ESPN, I had the, uh, the, the good fortune of calling the digital highlights at the Masters with Matt Berry, who's also a sports center anchor two of the highlights of my career, those two years, being on site, calling the highlights, watching them come up on masters.com. It was exhilarating. So I knew this is what I want part of my future to look like. And at the time, ESPN only had those two days of golf, Thursday and Friday of the Masters. So what do you do? Well, I was quite frankly, to be honest with you, Steve, I was tired of being a B player. And I was good enough to do first take when Stephen A and Skip weren't there. 
I'm good enough to do Mike and Mike when Mike and Mike weren't there, but we can't give coach his own, his own show, his own thing. Well, I've proven right now that if you give me my own show with a really good supporting cast and team, we can explode it. My new show, the early edge is killing it in the world of sports betting. And so I wanted golf to be a big part of that. And so I literally, this is a true story, Steve. I don't think I've ever told this before <laughs> a year before I left ESPN, I sent a note, an email to an executive at the PGA tour. And I said, here are 10 things that I would fix if I was working for the PGA tour, because I felt like a lot of the players are like robots. They don't understand the branding. They don't understand because we're the way they've come up. It's banging balls at the range. It's, it's no social life. It's not playing any other sports. They're not there. Some are very antisocial. And I want to help them become social. I want to help them build their brand so you don't have to. Steve, I don't know if you agree with this, but if you make money off the course, part of the reason Tiger Woods is so successful, he never had to worry about the paycheck on the course. He just went out there to win. When you're a player that relies on that money from the course, that's a different animal. Now, when you got two holes to play and you got to shoot one under to get that, that's a different animal. Right. Yeah. And so, right. And so now players don't have to think about that. So I literally listed 10 things. It took a full year to get a response, a full year. Wow. And then all of a sudden I get this, this email out of, Hey coach, sorry. It's been so long. Thanks for the email. And I'm like, what email did, you know, are they talking about? And that's how it started. The first year I did one, one tour of it. And then the next year I did three or four. And now this coming year, now that we're exploding. And when you said 4,300 hours, I thought you were talking about, just the first weekend that we were going to work. <laughs> yeah, they're right. long days. They are long days, but they're doing exactly what you should do. You sign this big new TV contract. You don't do less. You do more, yeah. right? You, you don't, you don't hoard that money. You invest that money. And that's exactly what they are doing. So you can have some young talent come in and do the featured holes. And it's a great way to learn and call golf because it's, I think it's going to be a great training tool for younger sportscasters who want to call golf for former players or current players that would like to get into sports casting. And also for guys like me and you that can do the bigger stuff, we can do the main channel. That is just like watching the golf channel in the morning before golf channel or ESPN or whatever comes on uh, in the afternoon. So it's going to be amazing if you're a golf fan and let's be honest, a lot of what drives us, Steve is golf betting. Yeah, It just yes. is. The, if people bet on a player, they're going to watch them play. So if you bet on Justin Thomas, uh, head up against Jordan Spieth, and they're in a featured group, what stream are you going to watch? JT and Jordan Spieth. That's why you do four different streams. Yeah. Sports betting feeds into all of them, <laughs> and I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah, that's that's going to be a, it's a huge thing. I, I, you know, Before we let you go, and you've been great with your time, I really appreciate your, sure. your passion, your energy. Talking about gambling, did you see the Bryson and Brooks thing in Vegas? And what was your take on that? Because I thought that was a perfect opportunity for a little WWE sort of like uh, energy there. And sure. we didn't sure. quite get it, did we? No, and it would have been great six months ago. Not now. You can't have all these interviews at the Ryder Cup and they're hugging it out. Let, let's be honest. In sports, and I think people forget this right now, Steve, rivalries are what built sports from the 60s, the 70s. And we're acting like this is the worst thing in the world that Bryson and, and, and Brooks don't get along. It was just the opposite. But just like when you have to explain a joke, then it doesn't become quite as funny. Well, when it continues to go and it's the same joke over and over and over, now it's not so funny. And plus, you also got to remember the very first match. Remember the very first the match with Phil yep. and Tiger? It was bad. 
Why was it bad? Because Tiger, as much as he likes to needle people, he's not a great trash talker. He's just not. Phil's the best. Phil dominated him for 18 holes verbally. So what did they do the next time? They said, we need four guys, right? We need Peyton and Tom. And all of a sudden, the match become that. So to do a Mm -hmm. 12-hole match with just two dudes who don't like each other, that weren't going to talk too much to each other, was not good. I watched maybe... 10 or 15 minutes of it. I just wasn't interested in it. And to be honest with you, I don't think a lot of other people were interested mm-hmm. in it either. thought it was a bad day. It was a bad spot. College football on a Friday. It just, uh, I didn't think it resonated very much at all. Yeah, I, I, I would agree on that. But yeah, it's interesting how the you know, the creation of personalities and the PGA Tour, Patrick Reed is kind of like the villain and Bryson's mad, the mad scientist. And yeah, Brooks was definitely really quiet like that. So it, it's interesting yep. to see how all these play out, you know, over social media, over the whole the whole deal. But uh, uh, before we let you go, I know you're out there in the in the world of social media. But where can our our Silver Club listeners uh, find you if they want your all your great knowledge and your great energy? <laughs> well, hey, I tell you what, we're the same. Our, our handle is at the Coach Rules. And before people make fun of me for a cocky handle, I tried 25 handles when I was leaving ESPN. I learned the hard way that when you take when you put your network into your Twitter handle. And you take it out, you lose that blue check mark, which is very, very important to have. So I had to do uh, the coach rules, which is the same on Twitter, on Instagram, and we post all of our stuff there. So Early Edge is our brand. It's at CBS Sports Sportsline. Uh, Sportsline is the greatest. It's not even close. The greatest sports betting platform there is in the world. And it's only $10 a month. And we have well over 140,000 paid subscribers and we just started a couple of years ago. Uh, So we're generating a lot of money, but we're also generating a lot of fun. So people go to Sportsline on Twitter and you follow us there. We post all of our shows there. You can go to our YouTube channel and we're constantly churning out. I'm doing 15 shows this week, 15. (laughs) That's it. Um, Because we do specific to sports, MMA, we do golf, uh, we do uh, soccer, and then we have our normal shows too. So uh, that's the easiest place for people to find me. If they want to have fun, if you want to learn a little bit about sports betting, but even if you don't, we just talk sports and we have a good time and we laugh and we tease people and everybody's got a nickname. So uh, we, we would love for all of your listeners and all your viewers uh, to come join us. Uh, and also, to be honest with you, the reason, the biggest reason that I love it is that when we started this a year ago, right smack dab in the middle of the pandemic, I said, I want a place for people to come where they don't feel like they're alone where they don't feel like they're isolated, where they don't feel like they don't have a voice and nobody listens to them because we were all stuck in our houses. We were all stuck in our homes. And that was the biggest reason I wanted to start this. I could not have imagined it would grow to where it is today. But people love being a part of what we're building because nobody likes to be alone. Mm -hmm. Nobody does. (laughs) And we include everybody. I don't care who you are. We, We welcome you and we want you. Awesome. Well, we love that. We love that energy. We love the passion. We love the inclusion. Uh, The coach, thank you so much for being on our Silver Club podcast. This is going to wrap up our 2021 year and uh, so much energy, so much greatness. And uh, we'll see you down in St. Augustine, the World Golf Village for PGA Tour Live sometime soon in 22. Sounds good. And I I wish everybody at home happy holidays. Be safe, pay it forward, be kind to one another, and just enjoy golf and enjoy sports because uh, it's the greatest thing in the world. Big thanks to the coach for joining us on this final Silver Club podcast of 2021. The new year is right around the corner, and we'll have more Silver Club podcasts coming up real soon. 
Until then, happy holidays, everybody, and enjoy your family and your friends. You'll hear us back in the new year.